You're listening to the Tribe Tech Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tribe Tech Podcast by Tech Southwest. I'm Fayaz Khan and my co-host is Robert Hillier. Hello, yes. Today we're talking to some of our winners from last year's Tech Southwest Awards. A very different scene to this year. Last year was also the inaugural ceremony. And what an amazing night for the first one, filled with glitter, glamour and actually a lovely bunch of people. And we'll start with one of them now. Richard Godfrey is the CEO of Rocket Makers and was the winner of the 2019 Tech Southwest Tech Leadership Award. That's right. They're based in Bath and have been around for about 13 years. They work with a lot of companies who want to disrupt their corporate culture and behave more like startups. We started by talking about the last few months. It's been really interesting, actually, with this whole uh, the coronavirus environment. We've seen, we've seen some really you know, important, interesting, growing scale-ups who have uh, just been in the wrong sectors and have uh, been really hit really badly and, and impacted. But at the same time, we've had a whole sort of influx of people with new ideas or existing companies that are pivoting into new spaces where perhaps without this impetus they they just wouldn't have made those decisions so it's been a really interesting sort of balancing act of some things really falling off and and finding it really hard but other people really reacting and 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 driving new things so for example we you know people in the travel sector are off but at the same time medical uh, testing instruments and things coming in and uh, yeah so it's been a really sort of balanced environment I think for this but it's really encouraging that people are seeing opportunities and again some people you know unfortunately are being laid off furloughed and I think they're taking in some cases an opportunity to look at careers and where they are and some of the perhaps niggling ideas that they've had over time and saying can we actually do something about this now Mm. so it's yeah it's an interesting time. If we can um, take you back for a moment to the uh, the dim and distant past that we call 2019 the old world I think as it's been as it's been dubbed now um, the, old normal, yeah. the old normal yes um, and the uh, awards night when um, you won last year can you tell us how you how you felt um, on the night and what it meant to you as a company to be to be recognized in that way yeah, definitely. It does seem a long time ago now, doesn't it? When uh, yeah. with so much with so much going on. But yeah, no, it was a wonderful night, and uh, and it was also, I mean, just being the first of the first of the awards. I mean, we were, you know, we were fortunate in uh, in, in two respects. I think one one being lucky enough to receive an award for the work we do, and uh, but also to sponsor uh, one of the awards for for scale ups as well. And uh, so yeah, no, it felt felt fantastic. It was really nice just uh, having an opportunity to get to meet a whole load of people who, uh, quite honestly, you you know, in different regions of the southwest, you uh, we don't mix all that uh, much together. So just having an opportunity to get down to Exeter and meet a whole load of new people. And, uh, but also people are really passionate in the same space. So uh, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. And, uh, and coming out with an award at the end of it was just the icing on top of the cake for us. And how have you been getting on over the past uh, 10 months or however long it's been, eight months? Uh, well, and, and also, Richard, I think as well as, as part of that, do you, I mean, I think for a lot of people, they see, they will see 2020 as a kind of a lost or mm. forgotten year or certainly divide it into in, into pre and post how do you think that you'll look back at the past um four months and and, and 12 months yeah yeah well i think it's been a you know we're in a really fortunate position so i think i'll look back at it as a uh just happening to be in the digital 
sort of technology area and just being incredibly lucky that we are compared to being very focused on certain other verticals where through no fault of anybody that everything sort of dropped out so so i think yeah looking back as a you know being very fortunate in that environment i think i'm seeing decisions that we're making now as a result of these things that i perhaps didn't think we could before so you know, the idea that pretty much overnight everybody could just move out of our office and, and work from home and be productive uh never even occurred to me so uh and especially when you're in a, a creative industry as we are so we spend a lot of time working with with founders and, and and people with ideas creating ideas and then creating you know basically our our life uh, orientates around a load of whiteboards and that sort of brainstorming and, and stuff that that you need to do and, and being able to take that into everybody sitting in their own bedrooms and still be able to achieve stuff like that has been astonishing quite frankly and I think the productivity is is no different really and and that's a bit of a testament to the tools that are around and adoption but also people's attitude to just getting on with it and making the best of it which has been good so so in, in terms of looking back and how things will change for us I think you know certainly where we might have felt we were restricted uh, in office space and, and that we probably aren't anymore we'll we'll keep the office space because there's huge value i think in in some of those uh, opportunities for creativity and meeting but but i won't feel the same restrictions on on that that perhaps we did do beforehand uh, and and in terms of the, the business overall over the last 12 months and stuff it's been a you know it's been a very fortunate growth story for us we're hiring even now in the middle of a pandemic so uh so yeah very fortunate indeed so do you think it's possible then certainly from from what you just said there to, to not only look at it as, as if as well we have we not only did we not lose anything which i think is a position that many companies would would be pleased to be in wouldn't they but you've actually managed to take some good out of the situation mm. yeah i think i'm a natural optimist so perhaps that's that's the way that uh that I think anyway, and uh, and I guess a lot of entrepreneurs have have to have that optimism. Otherwise, they just you know, optimism and perseverance. Otherwise, they wouldn't get out of bed and, and try and do things. But it's uh, yeah, I think it's seeing seeing the opportunities where there are, and also being you know, I think appreciating that change happens. Sometimes you can't control everything, but actually being able to go with that change and and make the best of it is really important. And uh, so I think yeah, I think there's. There's, there's opportunities and I'm, we're definitely seeing that in what people are, are sending to us as, as concepts, ideas. There's a lot of innovation and interesting things going on at the moment. And for this year, are you excited for the Tech Southwest Awards and will you be attending and what's on the agenda for you? Yeah, for sure. So we're, we're sponsoring again and uh, the, the same award and uh, we'll certainly be there and really looking forward to it. I think awards are really difficult. I mean, I think the guys did an incredible job uh, in person last year, uh, just the, uh, the enthusiasm on stage and, uh, and getting everybody really going with it is, was, was fantastic. And I think that's really hard to do in a, in a remote. I've been to a couple of re remote award ceremonies and they are challenging to, to pull off. But nevertheless, you know, the, the situation is as it is. And, and I think we do need to see who is driving interesting new things and, and support them and, uh, and recognize those things. So I'm really yeah, looking forward to doing that. Do you think with the, with the position that you occupy within the marketplace that you're able to act as a bit of a, as a bellwether almost for where the tech scene and the tech market might be headed? Have you, what, have, have you seen a, a shift in 
you, you mentioned earlier, obviously, you know, travel is suffering now, whereas obviously elements of, of health are going to be doing well. Are you seeing a significant shifts in, in that way that you think actually might be for the long term? I think it's really hard to say if I'm really honest. And uh, so I, I, I don't know, uh, but I think there's some, there's some obvious candidates which are, you know, have been bubbling around and who you're starting to think that actually this, you know, there's, a, there's no good reason why this shouldn't be pushed forward now. For example, we're doing a lot of work around augmented and virtual reality at the moment. And, uh, and just the fact that you know, events pre pretty much aren't going to be back the way they were for some time. Um, so how do, you, how do you take events and do a really good job with those in a digital world? Um, and you know, things like you know, Zoom and I guess there's a mass market adoption of, of video calling technology that, that you know, certainly you know, grandparents and, and others are getting used to now where they probably wouldn't have done otherwise. So, so there's a more openness of some technologies but I think, yeah, that whole immersive experience uh, where you can get beyond uh, just a, a two-dimensional screen looking at somebody and perhaps engage a bit more, uh, not quite the real world, perhaps a little bit closer to it, is something that I think is really exciting. And we'd, we've got a project that we're running, which is an Innovate UK-funded project at the moment, which is uh, really looking at how to do some interesting stuff in that space. So I think there's that, that obviously AI is still pushing uh, on and, and pretty much everybody's trying to pull some machine learning into whatever they do. And I think that's you know, from a pure digital perspective, that's really where people need to be investing, at least understanding the potential of those things. Um, but certainly immersive stuff is somewhere where I'm, I'm seeing perhaps a little bit more interest and in, 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 in more investment and change, I suppose. And so I suppose that the more that people start to invest in, in technology and planning like this, then the harder it will be at some point to say, well, even though we've spent all this money and done all this development, we're going to go back to the, to the way things yeah. were. So it's more likely to embed it, isn't it, as part of the way that we do. But your, your, your first thought about an event won't be, let's, let's see what event space is available. It will be, let's see what online platform is best suited to hosting this event. Do you think that that will, that will start to filter through in that way? I think that's already happening. Yeah, absolutely. But I also think it won't ever be back to where it was because I think the advantages that of being able to to attract an audience that doesn't need to travel to events is something that you know, needs to be looked at as well. We're talking to some people about it at the moment as to how to how to do that, and also how do you make it more human in in if you're in that sort of re remote world. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So so bringing so bringing in aspect of behavioural psychology as well. Well, again, it's not just about being a tech expert is it it's about being an expert in humanity definitely and i think you know everybody over the last few months that's that's been sitting in front of a computer getting zoom fatigue or yeah or, or google meet fatigue or whatever is kind of realizing that it's uh you know so this this isn't really something that you can just continue doing forever i think i think the whole circumstances need to change they need to fit much more human traits to to be able to deliver this really well. well. I find that quite interesting because I guess you guys haven't got rid of your offices where we know quite a few people who have got rid of their offices because they found that, you know, working um, from home and a bit more agile, et cetera, is just easier for them since the lockdown and also saves them money. Um, yeah. But then you guys think that actually you'll, you will be going back to the office and you will be interacting more, well, more on a more human level, which I find quite interesting um, because it, I, I've always wondered, well, the last four months, I've wondered, are we moving away from that? 
Hmm. I think I think it's definitely changed some perceptions, and certainly mine in some ways as well. So where we, you know, I think when we've built Rocket Makers up, it's been very focused on the culture of the company, and uh, and and really about people being in the same space together, uh, and and the friendships that that come through that, and support with colleagues, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's so I think there's elements that uh, you know are, are still really really important with that but there's also uh, opportunities which is uh, trying to use space which is expensive space no, no doubt and you know i there's nothing i'd rather do than than lose the expense of our office but at the same time the benefits that that come with it i think are are, are really important to recognize and maybe that's the, the maybe that space changes you know maybe it becomes more of meeting space and opportunity than desk space um and and maybe there's certain roles which are much more oriented to being in that environment than others that uh, are less so. Uh, and also, you know, I think opportunities for recruiting much more widely uh, are, are things where you don't necessarily require people to move geographically, um, just finding more, more opportunity for people to, to do that. I do think there's a lot of difficulties, though. I mean, my experiences so far where we've tried to, you know, over, over the years, where people have needed to move to different geographies and and stayed working with the company is really really hard especially when you have a bulk of people who are in one place and a few people who aren't and i think that trying to find the right processes and uh, and just again technology can be a part of it but it's a lot about just the way you behave and, and do it. it needs to be designed for a hybrid environment rather than just letting it kind of form its own way it, sh- it shows how quickly that, that we can adjust but as, as you say i mean it's unreasonable to think that we can overnight just switch from all being office-based to being remote-based and not not find it strange or not struggle with it for for a while um otherwise otherwise we all just would have done it wouldn't we it just would have been what we would have Mm -hmm. done but the fact is that you know was despite the fact that we've all had the the choice and and as you said you were able to move yourselves online pretty much overnight well then then you were a year ago as well but you didn't do it because (laughs) Because you didn't need to. Because you didn't need to, and you and and you, and you like the way that it works. I think we see, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves, don't we, for things to kind of overnight be, be the same and be as effective. When actually, we just need a bit of patience as well. Mm. No, very much so. But I, and I do, I do think things like uh, you know, working at home is you know it has been fine. But again, you know this isn't not everybody's in the same circumstances. So I no. think if you, you know, if you've got the ability to have a bit of a garden and get outside and do it and uh, and you have a space which you can set aside to to work properly then that's great but if you don't have that room or opportunity then it's you know it's just a pressure and uh, mm-hmm. and, and you probably want to get back out of that environment into something where you can be more effective mm-hmm. there so i think you know everyone's in different circumstances and that's one of the things that in, uh, at least with an office you're in pretty much the same environment uh, i think at the moment that sort of disparity in environments is is something that you know is quite yeah it can be quite challenging i think yeah and you can get away from homeschool when you go to the office so that's good richard can you leave us with some optimistic words for the future optimistic words for the future i certainly can because i think that's the, the, the way i'm feeling at the moment we're seeing so much opportunity in new ideas that perhaps people hadn't had opportunity to think about before so i encourage everybody you know where you've stumbled across a problem uh, ideally if you've seen that problem in in some different places in some different environments and, and there if you think you can make it a change with that then i would say have a you know, sit down plan it out and uh, and perhaps have a go at it and often often the best way to start these things is to do it you know in in your own time while uh, 
and especially if you've got more time with furloughing or whatever to make the most of that and really really drive some uh, some change that you want to do uh, whether that's career-wise or uh, in certain products or whatever because I think there's a great opportunity time to, to do that and, and to seize it now and, uh, and turn up at the awards if you can because uh, the awards are something which is just just kind of reflecting on success and interest and making connections with other people I think is such an important part of what we need to do at the moment. And actually everybody that we've spoken to about the awards always says we've been to a lot of awards but none as fun as the Tech Southwest Awards so I mean it's definitely going to be amazing this yeah. year as well it's whatever been, whatever happens. It's only because I've not been to the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've not been to the Oscars, and, uh, and I assume it was the, the Tech Southwest Awards were probably better than that anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. That was Richard Godfrey from Rocket Makers in Bath. Our next guests are Mike Matthews and Huma Mahmood Khan from Lineal. They're based in North Devon, are an IT services company. We started with Mike and talked about Lineal winning Tech Southwest North Devon Cluster Award last year. Oh, it's quite an exciting um, event. It's good to see some technology, digital technology being uh, pushed forward in the Southwest Peninsula. It's one of the regions that most of the government and the LEP have identified as the growth area for our region because we don't have great infrastructure in terms of you know, roads and airports and things like that. So digital technology is a real easy win for our area and it's a nice place to live. And we have a great skill set of people uh, working here and doing all things digital. So to be invited on that night and to win for North Devon, yeah, it's a good feeling. So, um, Homer, obviously nobody last year knew what was coming um, over the past four to five months. Um, how has your company tackled this uh, extraordinary time? Did you, did you feel that you were ready? I don't think anyone was quite ready for it but we responded as swiftly as we could and implemented working from home for all our employees um, around was it the 12th of March Mike? I think it was. So that. when uh, uh, Boris Johnson said I suggest you go home on that morning we all packed up and we all worked from home that very same day. When you say everything worked, uh, there, there, there seems to be a difference of, um, of kind of approach that some people say that nothing got any worse and we found that we could do what we did before without any particular damage. Mm -hmm. And some people, it seems to have actually improved things. How did, mm -hmm. it, how did it work for you? Yeah, so overall, none of our clients knew that all of our staff were working in their pyjamas from their bedrooms, in their, <laughs> studies, in their suits, or whatever. None of our clients knew. And so from my point of view, that's a good way that everything worked. Our productivity didn't dip. Uh, we still measure that using very careful KPIs, using our software to make sure that productivity stays up. And in fact, we had to produce something like plans for getting just under 2,000 people working from home within 10 days. Wow. So they they worked night and day to get all of our clients working from home within 10 days. If a member of your team had come to you in February this year and said, Mike, you know what, I think we should all work from home. I think it would be an awful lot better. What would you have said? Yeah, now that's an, that's an you're using 2020 hindsight. Ah, I'm just curious because we had no choice. But a number of people have said, if only I'd known. But it's yeah, not if only I'd had that faith, that, that trust. Yeah, you're quite right. And, and I would be one of the doubters and say, no, you stay in the office and you keep together and you work as a team together. You integrate well. But you know what? Because everybody had to do it with a change in everybody's mindset, it worked 
fantastically. But without that force and mindset for the for the employees, I don't think it would have worked. But going forward, what are people going to be doing? What are the rest of the guys doing? Going to be doing a hybrid version where they will say we will be working one or two days in the office, quite specific set days. It's not a question of, oh, I feel like work in the office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there will be set days when they will be working in the office and the rest of the time they will be working from home. And I think that's the key thing. They will be working from home, not just be at home day. Yeah, and that could be flexible anyway. And I think one of the things we've found is people are almost too productive at home, working sometimes more than they yeah. should be. Um, Huma, how have you found, you know, dealing with clients directly? How easy was it to get them online? They initially were a bit worried about how to approach it, but we were already prepared and sent them emails with links so they could get set up immediately and we introduced reduced data mode for some of our customers that had slow internet connections so the data load was much quicker for them in fact a lot of them commented on how much more efficient it was so they didn't notice the difference they were happy that we were prepared and were able to help them and would you say that all of these initiatives ended up making people work better from home Yes, they are. It it seems maybe communication is more seamless now because when people are working from home, they're probably having more Zoom and team meetings. Their comms were fine. And if they ever had any issues, they were able to contact us straight away. And so, and so, Mike. So, pick, picking up on that point there, how how quickly were you able to move from kind of crisis management phase into actually thinking about growing the business and increasing your increasing your your market share i think yeah within within a week we were fully settled in uh with our new working practice as huma said our meetings a bit shorter and sharper people turn up at time people leave at time they don't hang around afterwards um so within a week we're we didn't really notice any difference and we're a bit sharper now i feel um and i talk to other customers as well everybody's working a, a lot sharper because of time management through through mm. Teams and Zoom on the calendars. Um, and we've already started, um, we've had several new inquiries for all of our software and the service. In fact, I don't think they've really stopped. They took probably about a breath for about two or three weeks in March. But in April onwards, we've had still more new sales inquiries and we still continue to, uh, to market it and continue our grow our sales department. Um, just to shift the conversation a bit, because, you know, the whole point of our podcast is to promote what's happening in the Southwest. And, you know, you guys are a, a software company that's been here uh, in Devon for 35 years. What made you choose Devon? And and why this why is this area so good for what you're doing? Pure lifestyle choice back in uh, in the mid 90s, in 1996, when we uh, when we moved down here, um, moved the business from Surrey. It was just simple lifestyle. Uh, in those days, you had ISDN, not anything else. So that was quite uh, quite effective, and we could still do delivery using digital technology then. And really, it's it's continued to grow. The digital infrastructure is still poor in the rural areas of, of Devon and Somerset. It's quite good in Cornwall, uh, but we've just had fibre to our premises here in in the rural parts of North Devon, so we can get like best part of gigabit Ethernet to our properties. Very good. Um, and that hasn't hindered us at all in growth. Uh, in fact, it's helped us, uh, the digital infrastructure. We'd need more of it, but uh, it's good. How concerned are you about the wider economic picture that seems to be emerging? And are we going to be able to be 
not necessarily immune to that, but are we going to be able to uh, creatively and innovatively see our way through that? Will we? Uh, that's a difficult. We're still hiring new skilled people. We're having a trouble finding those skilled people in the southwest. Um, so we started our apprenticeship program two, three years ago, and that's still quite strong. Finding apprentices is a little bit hard this last two or three months. So I think the focus will be on on the lack of skills, although redundancies possibly on the horizon you hear on the news some big headlines but they tend to be in the retail sector not in the digital sector so i'm unsure yet how that's going to play out but i hope in the southwest we'll be protected from that a skill shortage is something that we do hear about quite a lot in the southwest from a lot of the people we interview what is it that you're actually looking for in apprentices what do you want just somebody who's who certainly is keen, wants to work really hard and progress. In our company, you have progression right up to the very senior level within two or three years if you prove your worth and want to do so. We have degree-level apprentices. We've got two of those, and we're looking for a third one. So it's, they are there, but they're not easy to find. A lot of the colleges say after A-levels, you go to university, which is not necessarily uh, what uh, our industry requires. Uh, mm-hmm. They require some work experience, and that qualification, a qualification is key um, for their transportability and mobility around the area. There certainly seems to be um, some of the language coming out of the new universities minister, a bit of a, a focus on rebalancing some of that, don't you think, between universities and, uh, and a more vocational further education. That, that's to be welcomed then from your perspective. Absolutely. I think the whole thing about apprenticeships, uh, some places you want to, you have to go to university to study. You want to practice medicine, for instance. But if you want to just go into industry in in our world, in the tech world, you should get out there and get to work and get an apprenticeship for a degree level. So you get your degree qualifications. You don't have your student loan debt. That's enormous. You you've got experience, and we all know that in our industry, experience counts for just about everything, followed by your qualifications. So it's welcome move by the ministers to actually encourage apprenticeships uh, at high levels and lower levels. Yeah, and I think what we tend to forget or people tend to forget is that the digital sector isn't just coders. We all work in tech here, but our jobs are varied. You know, we've got communication, software, client management. Huma, how did you get into the industry? I'm interested to know. I initially was um, working on the support for a contract we had um, for some MRP software at Lineal. I didn't necessarily um, have the same qualifications as a coder or a developer, um, but I had these skills in industry to try and understand that better. So that's how I got into tech. And what advice would you give to people who would like to get into working within the digital sector, but aren't coders or don't feel like they have the skills for the jobs at hand? Well, it's to go and make the inquiries, gain the experience and find out what's available. And you might find that uh, tech is something that's particularly for women I think mm-hmm. um, a sector that's not explored enough um, but really it, it's it's all there to go and experience things like apprenticeships um, really are vital in introducing our younger talent to this industry absolutely and, and, and do you think it's the use of the word tech that can I mean the same way you don't have to know be able to um sing to work in the music industry do you think it do you think it 
it can be off-putting because it seems to be such a an, an exclusive word tech whereas in fact anybody with a myriad of skills could work in you know, the world's fastest growing economic sector well i i hope people don't see the word tech as intimidating i mean after all our lives are all tech now everything's smart everything's tech everything's mobile and um, so it's not really a scary thing anymore and um, i don't feel it is personally mike could you tell us a little bit about your plans for 2020 for the rest of 2020 i mean you know things have changed we've moved on we've changed how we work what are we going to do next and what are you going to do next oh uh, well linear software is still progressing say we're a managed service provider so we're still growing our it support offerings we're still growing our software development team so we produce an MRP uh, resource pla uh, planning software that does accounting and warehousing. And we're extending that functionality to take on the people like SAP and Epicor. It's that enterprise level of software we're producing now. So we're just about to roll out version two of that uh, by the end of uh, next month and next few months. We're taking it out to all our customers and more, uh, which is why we're hiring more. We've just hired another developer straight out of university and she will be um, another welcome addition to that team. So... <laughs> That's what I said. <laughs> fantastic. That's fantastic. Flying the flag. Homer, what are your... No, no, um... not, no, no, don't get me wrong. It's not flying the flag uh, for gender equality at all, um, although it's always interesting. Um, this person, uh, she was just the best person for the job. Uh, and I'm pleased that it is, is a lady, but really I hire the best people for the for the jobs, really, no matter who and what they are. Um, we're, you know, we just, we will hire anybody so long as they're capable of doing the work to the very best of their ability. I really want to work for those guys. It was really nice to also speak to another Khan in Devon. You don't see many of those here, even though 24 million people have it as a surname. Did you know that? Uh, I didn't, but there's more Hilliers as well than you would imagine. Really? Depends how many you would imagine, but yes. <laughs> There's a lot of us. Tweet now. Tech SW official. Well, lastly, we spoke to Mike Oram, who's the MD of the Maiden Academy and one of their graduates, Nelly Skinner. What an interesting business idea. Yeah, they have tech boot camps and they help people with no software background learn to code and then get jobs within tech. Right, and Nelly used to actually work for the NHS as a speech and language therapist and then use her love for languages to learn code. Now she's got a job working in software. And we asked Mike how he started the academy. My background is as a software developer. Um, I did that for about 10 years um, before I started the academy. Um, I joined Maiden, um, where, where Nelly now works, um, as a software developer. Um, didn't, didn't join with any uh, sort of aspirations of starting an academy or anything like that. Um, but after being there for a couple of months, um, me and, uh, and then a couple of the other members of, of staff there um, I, I was involved in the recru recruitment and we were all kind of getting a bit, um, funny, well, finding it difficult to find the right staff. So, you know, exactly what you said, um, we, we were finding it difficult to find, find the, right, the right people with the right skills. Um, we've been to all sorts of different career events, been to universities, been to uh, you know, all sorts of things. And ultimately, the only sort of people that we could find that had the right skills were already working at other companies um, and we were just finding that we were essentially just poaching people from other companies and that um, <clears throat> those companies were then poaching you know other members of staff from us and it was just we, nobody was winning <laughs> um, so we thought well you know there's got to be a better way um, so we spent some time kind of looking into it and 
figuring out whether there was something that we could do, you know, could, could we fix this problem? Um, initially, it was um, just for ourselves, you know, was there a way that we could fix it for ourselves? Um, and then that, that kind of grew into, well, actually, can we, can we fix it for the industry? Uh, which brings us to where we are now. Why do you think with 130 universities in the country and hundreds of other further education providers, why is there such a disconnect between what the industry needs and what's being provided? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I guess I'd be a little careful what I say, that universities are generally a little bit behind the time and also generally trying to provide um, too broad of a subject matter. Um, you know, ultimately, most universities are uh, studying computer science, um, which is actually a really wide range of topics. You know, you, you can put all sorts of different tech into, into computer science from you know, robotics to AI to you know, machine learning and big data to software development to embedded software to, you know, there's all sorts of stuff that, that comes under computer science. And um, whilst all of that is really important, actually, um, it's really difficult to, you know, you, one person can't learn all of it. You can't do everything. So they, they, they don't cover any individual area to enough detail um, and instead cover sort of all of the areas to, to um, a, a more introductory level. Um, and that's really where companies like mine um, come, come into play. We kind of, you know, take, take one topic, um, just software development for us and, and really go on a much deeper dive. Um, so rather than, you know, we, we don't cater to three, 400 people a year like a university would, um, where you, you might have 30 or 40 people interested in, in you know, robotics and 30 or 40 people interested in AI or whatever. We just take people who are purely interested in, I want to do software development and that's all I want to do. And we just focus quite specifically on that. Um, and I think that's where, that's where the disconnect is with the universities is they're trying to, trying to have a sort of one size fits all um, course, which actually doesn't fit any. Yeah. I mean, Minelli, you said you were in your first uh, software development job. Can you tell us, how did you get here? What's your background? How did you find Maiden Academy? Why do you want to do this? I want to know everything. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I have come from quite a, well, interesting career change. Most people think the two careers are not related at all. So I used to work in the NHS as a speech and language therapist um, after so when I was at university, I studied speech and language sciences, which was very niche specific, specific course. I needed to be a speech therapist. Um, and I as well, like prior to being a speech therapist, I'd worked in the NHS in other roles. And throughout my whole time there, I kind of, it was intriguing to me how behind the technology was and how actually I thought that we could improve the workflows quite a lot by having better technology um, I'd always been kind of interested in technology but I'd never really considered it it wasn't really something that when I was at school was talked about going into software engineering or um, tech I'm not sure whether that's because I was at an all-girls school I don't know but um, yeah so I uh, went along to a code first girls course which a friend had told me about um, which is was a course in Bristol. It was like an evening class that I went to uh, once a week for a few, I think it was eight weeks. And I just fell in love with coding. I'd, I'd never heard of coding before that. And I just uh, saw the opportunity and went for it and thought like, if you could do this for a job, it would be so much fun. And um, 
yeah, I was getting increasingly frustrated by different things in my job in the NHS. I won't go too much into it, but um, I just decided to pursue the career in coding because I really enjoyed it. Um, was looking up different boot camps, what was near me in the area. There was lots of them in London, um, but I'm from Gloucestershire and kind of wanted to stay in the Southwest. Mm. Um, and um, on Maiden, I really liked about Maiden Academy that they had the small class sizes and industry connections and it just looked like a really friendly atmosphere, nice place to learn. Um, so I decided to apply and really enjoyed it. I had most of my course, well, about half of it I had in person and then the other half was remote after the um, lockdown happened with the pandemic. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about that. But before that, do you think that there was some sort of barrier to you learning about software development and going into the industry before going into the NHS because you weren't ever encouraged and, and because women tend to be hampered by other people's perceptions and, and our own perceptions in tech. The opportunities are out there, but I don't know whether it's just maybe among girls, it's not discussed as much as an option. Mm. Um, like I studied STEM subjects at school but I just, I hadn't even, if I'm honest, I hadn't even heard of software engineering or programming, just explored the speech and language sciences because I'd, I had an interest in language and also in science. And that was kind of like a course that encompassed the two. Mm. But um, I actually find that in, in software engineering, there are quite a few, I do find it, it's like diff learning different programming languages. I still get the, my language fix, if you like. Oh, yeah. So, love for sciences but yeah I'm I'm not sure but uh, there are a lot of boot camps including Maiden Academy that are doing more to try and um, encourage more women into the field which is really good absolutely Mike um so weren't you we we talked without obviously naming names about how should we say challenging it can be for for universities to to move quickly enough I mean and I suppose we can we can accept that even if someone does come to them and say we need to change our courses a bit because they're not reflecting what people need it can easily take you know three to five years before that can actually filter down in terms of certainly people graduating because of the three-year nature from the course how do you make sure that the courses you're delivering are aligned to what the market's going to be after when when you produce the course market the course and then people do the course where does that information come from to you yeah, so I, that, that's a really good point, and um, I, get, I guess a, a really big difference between sort of what we um, uh, we as a sort of bootcamp industry do in comparison to, to universities. Um, so for for us, um, it's all about industry connections. It's all about uh, personal experience, and it's all about sort of staying on top of training ourselves. So we're partnered with um, just over sixty companies uh, from across the UK. Uh, we rewrite our curriculum every six months, uh, so literally after every single course. Um, and what we do is we kind of we, we rewrite it based on um, what what did work, what didn't work, and the trends that are going on the in, in the industry that we know about. Um, and then we send that curriculum out to all of our partner companies. So all sixty of the um, I think it's about sixty three uh, companies get a copy of the curriculum, um, and then they uh, we we ask them to feedback on it. Um, 
uh, and they do that every, every six months. Uh, we collate all of that information and then we kind of iterate on the, on the curriculum every single time based on um, you know, what it is that the industry is asking us for. Um, on top of that, uh, all of our trainers are, are constantly engaging with the industry. So we, we go out and we work in our partner companies um, and actually do work for them uh, when we're not teaching. Um, we are constantly going to meetups um, and, and training events and, and uh, all sorts of sort of networking things. It's, it's, it's all about keeping our finger on the pulse and you know, making sure that we, we, are, we are part of the industry. We're not just, we're not serving it. I mean, we are, but we're not, you know, we're not an external serving that industry. We are part of the industry. And it means that we really know what, what's happening, what the trends are and, and what the companies want. And Nelly, you know, the, the work you're doing now is quite, it's, it's, you know, the, the study is vocational. It's, um, much more hands-on rather than, you know, a university course where, you know, there's lots of essays and things that you would have had to do before, presumably. Um, would you say that people are moving towards more vocational work now uh, than they were before and, and seeing university as less of a, an important pathway to, to work? But I would imagine as well, like with the pandemic, if, you know, a lot of university courses are going to be remote, perhaps more people might consider maybe different options and maybe not necessarily going to university and trying boot camps or apprenticeships or other routes into work um especially if they're gonna have to pay their nine grand a year and not actually get to go to university and have have the experience but um you know there are a lot cheaper and more efficient options um for example like the academy where which was 16 weeks and then you you know you're in a position to land yourself your first developer job at the end of it not having to go through the three or four years of um computer science degree was was great for me I, but I suppose it depends what the individual wants um, I mean I mean but, but for, for example if you know, if if you if you go back to when you were considering your university um options and obviously you know you you have a you have a passion for for, for languages and um and you see this as an extension of that but if you, you know, if you think you're making those choices now do you think that you'd be looking a little bit more towards something a bit more vocational do you think that the, or, or you'd certainly be more open to the idea of studying in this way than, than maybe you would have been five or six years ago yeah I think I definitely would um, especially if it, if I'd have known at the time that I wanted to go into software development for me like most of the learning happens in your first job the fact that you've got to that point got to getting a job in a shorter space of time I don't see as any less important I guess it just depends on the reasons that you're going to university whether you you're going to university because you know you want a specific job at the end of it, or you're going because you want a job, but also you want the university experience. I certainly would have considered not going to uni if, if I'd have known that I wanted to do software development from the get-go. We are now looking to, uh, to, the, to, you know, to the future and, uh, and what that looks like. Um, we, we've already developed uh, one new remote course, uh, which we're actually rolling out next month. Um, the first one, it's just a, a one day remote course on WordPress. So really looking forward to the first sort of fully designed remote course that, that we'll be delivering. We've certainly got plans to do more of that kind of thing. 
our main 16-week bootcamp uh, will be returning to in-person, uh, but we're looking at other um, remote options. It'll take a little bit of time for us to, to get those developed, but they're certainly in the works. We're certainly going to move much more to a, a mixed approach where we'll have some in-person training still, just as, as we were before, you know, when, when we can, when we can go back to that. But we're also going to have uh, a lot more options available for, for remote training and, and, and um, on, online stuff, which we're hoping will you know, o- open it up to people from different walks of life and different backgrounds, which hopefully will um, you know, drive the, the diversity issue in tech that, that we're uh, so passionate about. That's amazing. I mean, it's definitely the way forward. I think what you guys are doing is absolutely fantastic right here in the Southwest. Have you entered this year's Tech Southwest 2020 awards? It is my understanding that, that, that we will be, uh, that if we haven't already, that we, we certainly will be entering them, yes. And how, how important do you think it is after the period that we're, that we're still going through, really, that we, that we still ensure that we, are, that, that we, we come together and and talk to each other and remember that there is a a community down here supporting each other oh uh so important i think you know it it, if anything it's i mean it's more important than it than it was before the pandemic because uh it's you know how difficult is it now to network and to find out about new companies and to find out about what companies are doing when you know you you literally can't leave the house or the office um things like the tech southwest awards are are only going to become more important you know they they already were really important but this this kind of thing now highlighting what's going on within within our industry and a a lot of people are often very surprised by what it means to work in tech and what 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 that actually involves and i'd strongly encourage people to you know to to research it and have a go and and come along to to something like one of the academy taster sessions um, or using something like code academy or any of the online free resources to, to just have a go because it's a fantastic industry to work in well that's a great initiative i mean we're always hearing about the tech skill shortages that we have here and these guys just decided to do something about it while also giving people coding skills. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so thank you to our fantastic guests who've given us some great insight into how they're moving forward after the lockdown. And we look forward to seeing you all at the Tech Southwest Awards this year in whatever form it takes. Right. And uh, if you want to be on the podcast, get in touch with Tech Southwest on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, anywhere. They're everywhere. And you can also message me directly at Fialza K on all platforms as well. And finally, the entries for the Tech Southwest Awards close on July the 25th. That's July the 25th, 25th of July. So make sure you're part of it. We'd love to see you there flying the flag for tech in the Southwest. Thanks for listening. We're back next month. Bye. Bye. A Tech Southwest podcast. Tribe Tech. You can get in touch with us by tweeting Tech SW Official. 